Well, we're glad you're here tonight. Thank you all for coming. We're going to be in Malachi chapter 3 tonight, and we're going to be looking at verses 7 to 12. We'll be handling an interesting subject this evening. And I want to read the text as we work our way through before we begin tonight. So starting at verse 7. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. I want you to notice that proper noun, Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth, in Hebrew, which refers to the fact that he's the sovereign covenant God of Israel, and he's in charge of all the hosts and armies in heaven and also on earth. That name, Lord of hosts, is repeated multiple times in these verses. Notice verse 8, will a man rob God? Now he uses the proper noun God, Elohim, sovereign creator of the triune Godhead. Yet you're robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and your people who have come out tonight to partake of this passage, this portion of inspired truth. Lord, I pray that you would make this truth profitable for us tonight by the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, amen. It doesn't matter whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, but money is definitely connected in the mind of God to our spirituality, and it is definitely linked to having God's blessings. In fact, I think there's a thesis statement that we can give that covers both the Old Testament and New Testament principles on the subject, and that is if God's people want God to open up his ultimate storehouse of blessings on them, they must give God the offerings he deserves. I think that thesis is accurate for both the Old and the New Testament. As we'll see, there's a difference between legal tithing under the Old Testament law and grace giving and New Testament grace, but that thesis statement is true regarding both systems. Now, we live in the New Testament grace age, and we're not under the legal mandates of the Old Testament law, but the principles that we have concerning giving and the principles that we'll discuss in part tonight do in part come from the Old Testament. And oftentimes, you'll hear someone say, all the church wants is money. Well, for a true church of God, that isn't really the point. What the church wants is the blessings of God. That's what the church wants. And for that to happen, the people need hearts right with God. And when people's hearts are right with God, God blesses them. So what the church wants for people are the blessings of God for the people. And to get the blessings for the people at the ultimate level, money is a part of it. Just the fact, money's a part of it. Now, we saw last time in Malachi 3.7 that God's people had been turning away from the word of God in a variety of ways. And so far in the book of Malachi, we've cataloged at least 19 ways that the people had not obeyed God. And God is going to stop speaking to these people for the next 450 years. They'll not hear from him again. 
Malachi is the last book of the English Old Testament. It's the last book of the minor prophets of the Hebrew Bible. And once Malachi is done speaking, it'll be 450 years before they hear from him again. And that tells us something interesting about God, because God does understand it when a godly parent no longer has fellowship with children who are out of whack. God gets that. God understands a relationship that has gone bad because one of the parties in the relationship has no interest in the things of God, because that really is the reality that God has in regard to the nation Israel. Now, one of the ways that they had been turning away from the word of God was on the subject of their offerings. That theme has shown up multiple times in this book of Malachi. Their offerings were pathetic. They were not giving God what they should have been giving God, and as a result of that, God was not showering them with the blessings that he could have been showering them with. And God doesn't need these offerings, by the way. It's not like he's in heaven with a great need for offerings. It's the people need his blessings. What he's trying to communicate to them is, you have to be involved in giving the offerings if you want my blessings. Now, the last time we saw in verse 7, God told his people, you've turned aside from my statutes, you've not kept my statutes. Then in pure grace, God says in verse 7, return to me, I'll return to you. That is a tremendous grace invitation that he's giving to his people. He invites his wayward people to get back into a right relationship with him. And the challenge that God gives them is if you will change your thinking and you'll turn around and you'll get this resolved and you'll come back to me, I'll start blessing you. Well, instead of the people going, praise God, praise God for this tremendous grace invitation, their response is, how shall we return? How shall we return? Just exactly what is it that we need to do to return to you so you'll bless us? And God's answer is in verse 8. Stop robbing me of my offerings. In verse 8, God begins with a question, will a man rob God? The word rob is used four times in verses 8 and 9. Now let's just think about that for a minute. One of the most foolish things that any child of God could ever do would be to try to rob God. I mean, that is as foolish as it gets. Try to rob God. That's a crime of which no one is ever going to escape. Robbing God is something that really means you rob yourself. So if you rob God of something, you're going to rob yourself of everything God isn't going to bless at the ultimate level. Now the word rob, akaba, is one that means to deceive or defraud, to hide, to cover. So to rob God means you give something to God, but it's deceptive. It's not the right figure. You give something to God, but it's defrauding God of what really he should have. It isn't the right thing. It isn't, as it were, the right amount. Now, if a child of God tries to defraud God and not give him what he should be giving him, it's not a good recipe for the blessings of God. In fact, robbing God is serious, it's senseless, it's shameful, it's dangerous, and it's punishable. So in verse 8, God says, you've been robbing me. And the people said, well, how have we been robbing you? You know, that is, that is just so sad to read that. Because what that tells us is people can actually become so accustomed to their own spiritual lack and failure, they don't even see it anymore. I mean, people can become so delusional about their spirituality that they don't even sense what they're doing that isn't right I mean, he's going, you've robbed me. Well, how have we robbed you? And God says, by your tithes and offerings, that's how. 
Now, the word tithe is a word related to ten. Giving God 10% was something that was found in the scripture actually before the Old Testament was given. In Genesis 14, 20, Abraham gave 10% of what he had to Melchizedek. We'll talk about that a little later. And Jacob made a promise to God that he would give him 10% of everything. The word offering, teruma in Hebrew, is a word that often has to do with financial things that were given to support the priests. Now, the tithes and the offerings were mandatory legal offerings that Israel was required to give under the Old Testament law. Most of this went to support the ministry. It was a legal bill. It was a legal bill under Old Testament law. It was owed. It was to be paid. In Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, we get some of the specifics of the legal tithe and offering regulations. In Leviticus 27, all the tithe of the land, seed, and tree fruit belong to the Lord as a holy offering. In Leviticus 27, a tenth of the herds and flocks were to be given to the Lord as a holy offering. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, tithes and contributions and votive promise offerings and free will offerings and firstborn offerings were to be brought to the Lord along with the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When you get to Numbers 18, the priests were to be compensated by the offerings. And in Deuteronomy 14, not only were the Levites to be supported, but some of it was to go to help the alien, orphan, and the widow. So these Old Testament tithes were legal mandated offerings that were to be given by Israel to the temple. It was like a nationwide legal income tax. Now this tithe matter was a legal debt. And it was to be paid to the Lord. It was a legal income tax and that the people were to go to the temple, they were to pay it. And God said, you've been robbing me of that. You haven't been doing that. Oh, you go and you give a little. But you're not giving me what you should be giving me. And since the people were not giving God the tithes that he demanded, verse 9 says, you're cursed. You're cursed with a curse. Because the whole nation has been guilty of robbing me, robbing God of the offerings he demanded and that he deserved. When we give our money to a place that God has established for offerings, it's serious worship. It's a part of worship. And we'll point that out later tonight. It's a part of worship. And God considers that money as being his, belonging to him. I mean, it's money that he considers being given to him. So according to verse 9, God says, I've put a curse on the whole nation. He says, I'm not prospering you at the level I could. I would prosper you at a level like you've never seen before, but I've been withholding my blessings on you. I've been holding my blessing on your land. He's not happy to do this, by the way. God is not pleased with the fact that he's been doing this. And the specific curse that God was putting on the nation was what he said he was going to do in Deuteronomy 28. It was a curse where God pronounced a curse on the land. This was an agricultural society And God was just not allowing the land to produce what it should be producing. He is the Lord of hosts. He is in sovereign control of everything and every power. He can cause land to flourish and he can cause land to be parched ground. And God had given them this land unconditionally, but he said, I'm only going to bless you in the land if you purpose to obey me. I'm giving you the land. I love you as a nation. I'm bringing you into the land. I'm giving you the land. But if you want my blessings in the land, you need to be serious about obeying me. Now, the promised land was not flourishing during the days that Malachi is writing this, and the promised land was not blossoming because God was not permitting it to flourish, and he was not permitting it to blossom because these people weren't obeying him. They weren't giving him their offerings. They owed him, and God told them 
that you're not going to be able to enjoy this land. You're not going to be able to prosper in this land if you don't get serious about me and my word. And I think that is true, a true principle for every single believer. If we don't get serious about God and his word, we're not going to be able to enjoy our Christian life. And God isn't going to bless us at the level he'd bless us if we were serious about him and his word. So in verse 10, God says, bring all those offerings to me. He says, I want you to bring those offerings to me, and I want you to test me on this. I want you to put me to the test. And see to it if I will not overflow you with prosperity and blessings. God says, bring me the whole tithe. That's what you need to bring me, verse 10. Bring me the whole tithe. Bring it to the temple. Bring it to me. Bring it to the temple treasury. They were bringing something. I mean, if you looked at these people, you'd say, wow, look at these people. They're going to worship and they're taking their offering." God's analyzing this from a whole different perspective. He's going, yeah, but they're, they're not giving me what they should. They're not giving me what we have told them in the word of God they're supposed to give me. So he says, you bring this to me. You test me and see whether or not I'll shower you with blessings. I can prevent the devourer from devouring you. And I can actually see to it that your crops just flourish. So test me on this and see what I'll do. You know, I really believe that God is still in the business of being capable of doing that. He can actually prevent things from disintegrating. I mean, he can actually bless people that are faithful to him so that things last. I mean, last. They don't wear out in normal time. I mean, I really believe God can do something like that. God says, if you'll do this, if you'll get serious about bringing me the whole offering, not just part stuff. I'll pour out my blessings on you like you've never seen. What is absolutely clear from both the Old and the New Testament is that God is in sovereign control of what happens to a nation. He's in sovereign control of what happens to a state, to a city, to a church, and an individual financially. He can bless, he can curse. That's his prerogative. He's God. God does not ever and will not ever bless his people at the ultimate level when they rob him of the offerings they should be giving to him. Now, we are not under the mandatory legal tithe system of giving. We are under a grace system of giving. In fact, obligatory tithing is not the same as grace giving, and we're going to point that out tonight. But we do not want to become lax or sloppy when it comes to grace giving either. Because there is a principle that's at stake here. We want to have the bright tension on us when it comes to grace giving. We certainly don't have the legal mandates on us like they had under this challenge here in Malachi. But there are some principles that we certainly can glean from this and we can apply. So what I want to do is I want to track this theme of giving through the New Testament so that we can be as accurate as we possibly can in forming our conclusions. There are two parts to the way I want to do this. First of all, New Testament observations about legal tithing. There are four main observations I want to make about legal tithing in the scriptures. And the first observation I want to make is the concept of giving God 10% did start before the Old Testament law. I want us to understand that. Abraham gave an offering of 10% of everything he had to Melchizedek, and you can read this on your own in Genesis chapter 14, where he gave Melchizedek 10% of everything. 
There's no evidence that God legally demanded that of Abraham. There's no evidence that God legally required that of Abraham. In fact, just the opposite, it seems that Abraham did that of his own free will. That very act was referred to in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 4 to 10. And in that text, where he describes that Abraham gave Melchizedek 10% of everything he had, God called Abraham, that's a great man, a great man. The 10% he gave, and you can read it. I would challenge you to do it. Read it in Genesis and in Hebrews. The 10% that he gave was 10% of everything. He gave Melchizedek 10% of the money, 10% of the cattle, 10% of the sheep, 10% of the produce, 10% of the crops. It was an incredible offer. It would have been worth an astronomical sum of money. Now, many people start when it comes to money at 10%, but the vast majority of spiritually-minded people end up giving quite a bit more than 10%. Because if you give 10%, you still have 90%. And spiritually-minded people realize, well, sometimes we don't need the 90%. So there's the first observation. The second observation is Jesus Christ said tithing was part of the Old Testament law. I want you to go to Matthew 23, if you would, please. Matthew 23. And I want you to notice verse 23 of Matthew chapter 23. This is a very important verse. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law. Do you see that? Tithing was under the law justice and mercy and faithfulness, but these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. So what we learn from this, when the Lord Jesus Christ was here on earth, according to Matthew 23, 23, tithing was part of the Old Testament law. It was a legal tithing. It was under the Old Testament law. And in fact, he actually commends them for doing that. He just said you should have done more than that. And we know that if it's part of the Old Testament law, we're not under the obligations of that anymore. Why do we know that? Scripture teaches us that. The Old Testament law has been nailed to the cross. We're free from it. In fact, I would go so far as to say this. Any church who tries to put people back under the Old Testament law when it comes to tithing is not a biblical church. Galatians 3.13 says Christ redeemed us from the law. Romans 6.14 says you're not under law, but you're under grace. So if we're trying to put people back under God's law, when in fact they've been set free from the law, no matter what the issue is, including tithing, that is theologically dangerous. Now the third observation we make from Matthew 23.23 is that Jesus Christ said tithing was no guarantee that one had real spirituality. Obviously, in verse 23, you had these scribes and Pharisees and these hypocrites. They were meticulous about their tithing, but they didn't love the Lord. I mean, under law, tithing was right. It was what you were supposed to do, but that didn't mean you were really spiritually minded. Fact of the matter is, these guys weren't spiritually minded. I mean, they could go to worship services, all right. They could physically give money and give stuff in their ties, which wasn't wrong necessarily to do that, but that didn't mean they were spiritually minded guys. They weren't. And the fourth observation comes from Luke chapter 18, so I do need you to go over to there, Luke chapter 18. 
But I want to draw your attention to one more observation about this legal business of tithing in Luke chapter 18 and verse 12. We read, I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. So the fourth observation is Jesus Christ said tithing was no guarantee one was justified. A person could give tithes of everything and give their offerings faithfully and end up in hell. A person could actually give a lot of offerings to religious places and not even know Jesus Christ. In fact, a lot of people do that. I'd say most people do that. Most people give their money to religious places, but they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. So there is the first part I wanted to cover tonight, New Testament observations about legal tithing. Now, the second part is New Testament observations about grace giving. Now, these observations I'm going to make have been taken from 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And so, first of all, we're going to start over in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and I want you to get your Bibles open to there, if you would, please. We'll end up coming back to Malachi, so I haven't forgotten about that. But we're going to go on a little journey now through principles of New Testament grace giving. Through these years, we've taught these principles in this church observations we can make about New Testament grace giving. Number one, grace giving that is liberal giving is not determined by dollar amount, but by sacrifice amount. Notice verse two, that in a great ordeal of affliction, 2 Corinthians 8, 2, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and deep poverty overflowed the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. So obviously, the thing that struck God and Paul was the fact that here were poor people, deep poverty people, and yet they were willing to make a sacrifice and give this offering. So there's principle or observation number one, grace giving that God classifies as liberal giving is not determined by dollar amount, but by the sacrifice amount. Remember that story of the widow and the two mites. I mean, she goes in there and puts in two mites and there are other guys putting in hundreds and thousands of dollars. And Jesus is there and he goes, I'll tell you what, that woman right there gave more than all of these people combined. Why? Because she gave out of her need. So there's principle number one in grace giving. Principle number two, observation number two, grace giving is given out of one's own volition. Verse three, they gave of their own accord. That's what you read in verse three. In other words, when you give in grace, you make up your own mind what you're going to give. You decide it yourself. This is not manipulated giving. A church should never try to manipulate people into giving. This is not manipulated giving. This is giving of your own accord. Sometimes churches do things to try to get people to give. They'll shame people. Or they'll come up with these manipulative matching gift promise things to try and prompt people. That's wrong. That's not grace giving. Grace giving is giving in which a person determines of their own volition what it is they want to give. God isn't pleased with manipulative giving. That's not grace giving at all. Now, the third observation is grace giving considers it a privilege to give. Notice verse 4, begging us 
with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. These were people who were giving under the grace age principles of giving, and they are just so happy to be giving, they're begging Paul to take their money. That's the right attitude. People that are right with the Lord under grace and giving their offerings to the Lord, they, 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 they don't give it to get something, although they will get something. But the motive that's driving them is what a privilege we have. What a privilege we have. God has entrusted us with this, and it's a privilege for us to give this to the Lord. I mean, that was their attitude. The fourth observation is grace giving comes from those who have first given themselves to Christ. Verse 5 And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. I want to make a couple of remarks about that. The thing that should precede giving is a person who is first saying, I want to please you, God. I want you controlling my heart. I want you controlling my mind. I want you controlling my money. I want to please you, Lord. I first give myself to the Lord. And I also think... There's an implication here that God should be thought about first when it comes to money. I think that that should be something that a grace person who recognizes what God has given them in salvation, that's the way they think. They think in terms of, God, I want to give you something. I'm so thankful for what you've given me, and I want to give this back to you. I mean, that's grace giving. You first give yourself to the Lord. Now, the fifth observation is grace giving is not by commandment or by demanded giving. Notice verse 8. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. Grace giving is not something that ever should be commanded in the church. It is not Old Testament law tithing. It is giving. Giving. It's not legal income tax like Old Testament legal tithing. It is giving, and it should not be demanded, and it should not be a commandment given to the people. The sixth observation is grace giving is based on what one has, not what one doesn't have. Notice verse 12, for if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. I have never agreed with credit card giving. I've never agreed with that because of this principle right here. Credit card giving usually is giving based on a person thinking, well, sometime in the future I'll have the money and I can pay the credit card bill. That's not grace giving. That's not biblical giving. And I know that all of these places put online, here's our giving. Boy, punch online and put your credit card in and give. That's one of the reasons, by the way, you can't do that to Texas Corners Bible Church. We do not take, we've had people contact us many times from all over this country Well, how come we don't have where people can give by credit card? Here's the reason. This is one of the reasons right here. This is why faith pledge systems and faith promises are wrong. Because people are told and they're challenged to make a pledge based on what they think they might be able to give. That's what a faith promise pledge is. You actually try to come up with a figure that you think you'll be able to give. That's not grace giving. Grace giving is based on what you have. It's based on what you have, not on what you don't have or what you think you might have. That's grace giving. Now, the seventh observation is grace giving is equality giving, not an excuse for not giving. Verse 13, for this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. Now, the equal principle 
that is at stake with everyone is God's people need to be giving based on what they have. Some people have more, some people have less. Some people can give more, some people can't give as much. This principle is not designed to promote ease and some and affliction for another, and that's why it can't be percentage giving. Because, you see, if it's percentage giving, you could say, well, okay, if everybody gives 10%, then the person who's making $100 a week giving 10%, I mean, you're talking about a major sacrifice. They're giving $10 of $100 a week. But you take somebody who's making $10,000 a week, giving 10% is $1,000 a week, they still have $9,000 a week left over. That's not the same in the sacrifice arena. And that is why there's no percentage in grace giving. Because grace giving is a sacrificial giving for each individual based on what they have. So what Paul is basically saying there in verse 18 is there's an equality principle. The equality principle is you base giving on what you have and the amount is determined by what you have. It's not designed to be an amount that puts ease on one and puts a heavy burden on another. It's an amount that you determine that is realistic, that is between you and the Lord. Now, the eighth principle is grace giving is giving that understands if we give sparingly, we'll reap sparingly. If we give bountifully, we'll reap bountifully. Chapter 9, verse 6 says of 2 Corinthians, Now I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I mean, I'm just going to challenge you at the end. Why don't you test God and see if it's true in one year? Test God and see if it's true. The principle is certainly true. If you decide you're going to give to God graciously and generously, you will discover you will reap graciously and generously. If you discover that you're going to sow sparingly, you are going to reap sparingly. God does bless proportionally to what a person gives. It's his words making the statement, I'm not. I'm just pointing out the words. Now the ninth observation is grace giving is giving that is purposed in one's own heart. Notice verse 7 of chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his own heart. In his heart. This is a real personal issue, and I don't think that people uh, should ever be manipulated by some outside pleading or begging or promotion or pressure. I think grace giving needs to come out of the heart of the believer. A person needs to come to his own terms about what he, she thinks he, she should give. If it's a couple, that couple needs to come up with their own conclusions on what they should give that is a generous, gracious gift to the Lord every single week. And we'll bring that out in just a moment. Every single week. I think that is the mindset of grace giving. Grace giving is of one's heart. A person needs to think about it. A person needs to pray about it. I'll never forget a story that was told me by Mr. Miles. I've used the illustration before, but it's a fascinating story. A guy came up to him and said, to him one time, and this was a pretty well-to-do man, if I remember him telling me this story right. He said to him, what do you think I should give to the Lord? He said, I'm not going to tell you. He said, because for me to tell you, I would have to know everything about your finances, and frankly, I just don't want to know. But I will tell you what to do. You get alone with God. You ask God what he thinks you should give. You talk to God about it. You ask the Lord to guide you in the amount you should give. And then you purpose in your own heart and you give it. 
I have remembered that story, and I've had that happen to me. Someone will come and say, well, what should I give? I will say, you get along with God, determine the amount. If you're a husband and wife, you get along and determine the amount. God needs to come first. I meet with these couples for marriage, and I tell them that. One of the things that can ruin a marriage is money. And the thing that you need to realize is God needs to have a portion of your money. And lots of times a couple will get married and they'll just kind of forget about that. And then pretty soon there are these problems that are cropping up because they disregarded the principle. But the principle is grace giving purposes in one's own heart what they're going to give and they give it. That's grace giving. Grace giving is not begrudging giving. Notice verse 7, not grudgingly. I'll tell you what, grace giving does not resent giving. Grace giving does not feel bitter about giving. Grace giving is happy to give. Which brings us to the 10th observation, grace giving is cheerful giving. Verse 9 says, God loves a cheerful giver. You know, one of the things that is just a good thing to do, and you don't do this in front of people, this is between you and God, is when you're bringing him your offering, just kind of talk to the Lord about it and recap all the things he's blessed you with. And just thank him for the blessings he's given you, and then give that offering to the Lord. It's a healthy thing to do. You don't give it grudgingly, and you're happy to, when you start thinking about all the things God's given to us, And then you give God out of a heart like that. I mean, he obviously loves it. And what's brought out here about giving is he does monitor the emotions of the heart when the person is giving him the offering. So somebody who's just going over there thinking I'm under some legal mandate to give and I got to give and I don't want to give, but I'm going to give this anyway. I mean, that isn't doing anything. In fact, that is not going to bring the blessings of God in any way, shape, or form because God loves a cheerful giver. The 11th observation is grace giving realize God will richly bless everything in the life of grace givers. Notice what you read in verse 11 of chapter 9. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. God says, I'll tell you what, you take my principles seriously in giving, I'll bless you in everything. You'll be blessed in your life. You'll be blessed in your spiritual growth. You'll be blessed in the way I'll use you. You'll be blessed in the way that you are able to grasp the word of God. You'll be blessed in the way that you are able to live your life and govern your life and enjoy your life. I'll bless you in everything. That's what he says. Everything. Then the 12th observation is grace giving is systematic giving on the first day of the week. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians Chapter 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now, just back up a few pages. And I want you to notice what is stated in verse 2. And this is very important, and I want to point this out. Verse 1 says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections may be made when I come. I want to point out the fact that grace giving is systematic giving. It's to be given on the first day of the week. We should be very systematic in our thinking about this, just like we're systematic in our paying of our bills. And I think we should be very systematic in both, giving to the Lord and paying our bills. But I want you to notice a couple of things here about this text. First of all, notice it's not on the Sabbath day. On the first day of the week, as stated, 
the first day of the week. Why? Because this is not Old Testament law tithing. And if you were to make this the Sabbath day when you brought this offering, now you would get back under Old Testament law obligation. And Paul is very careful to point out you do this on the first day of the week, not Sabbath day. There are, I believe, cults. I think Seventh-day Adventism is one of them. Cults that try to put people back under Sabbath-day concepts and legal codes. And this is one of them. You've got to do this on the Sabbath day. Paul said, no, 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 this is the first day of week. The second thing I want you to see is I want you to notice where chapter 16 sits. It's after chapter 15. And in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, Paul develops the doctrine of the resurrection in probably the greatest detail of all of the ramifications of the resurrection that he's put in written form. So when you start realizing, man, right after he gets done with a massive theological discussion about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he brings up grace-giving, you would have to conclude from that it must be something important to the Lord. Otherwise, why would he put it right after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and all the doctrine that he develops there? So grace-giving is systematic giving on the first day of the week. The 13th observation, grace-giving is proportionate giving based on one's prosperity. Verse 2, you give as he has prospered, as he may prosper. Grace-giving is to be proportionate giving to the prosperity that a person has. Some people can give more, some people can't give as much. But grace giving is to be proportionate giving to what God has given a person. And finally, grace giving is to be private giving, not public notoriety giving. Verse 2, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside. You don't broadcast this. You don't broadcast this. You just do this privately before the Lord. God keeps the records. He obviously watches his people, he monitors them, and he sees what they give in both the Old and the New Testament. We are to give systematically, sacrificially, generously, privately as God has prospered us. And Paul said, you'll reap what you sow. So look, I'm not going to go try to manipulate you to do anything. You do what you want with this. I'm laying it out for you, but you do what you want with it. Now I want you to go back to Malachi 3. And I want you to notice how Malachi ends the section after he discusses all of this. In Malachi 3.12, he says, if you do this, you test me, you test me, and you see whether or not I'll shower you with blessings. And then he says, all the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. God says in Malachi 3.12, if you'll start giving me what I should be given, then all the people around, all the nations will call you blessed and realize God is blessing this land. We have some people in this church, many people, that give way more than 10%. I know that for fact. For fact. I don't broadcast it, but I know it for fact. And... We also have people sending us in offerings from all over the nation. That's a fact, and we've never asked for a dime. God, in his grace, has apparently worked in several people, and they have seen fit to just support this ministry, and God has seen fit to bless us abundantly. 
A while back, we did a memorial service, and some of the funeral home guys asked me, how long did it take you to pay off this nearly $3 million for this new sanctuary? I said, by God's grace, seven years. One of the men from the funeral home said, who's not part of a church, you know, the giving at this church is amazingly high. I said to both of them, there's nothing we do here that's real flashy. I said, we pray, we promote reverent worship, and we're very serious about systematic study of the word of God. And both of those men who are not from this church said, we know that. Do you know what that means? Do you know what that says? God has made a statement to other churches. There are people that are in other churches, they're realizing, you know, God's blessing that church. Why? We have people who love the Lord. We have people who love the word. We have people who pray, and we have people who give. And because of that, others know, boy, they're overflowing with blessings. I'm going to leave you with two thoughts from this text tonight. You do whatever you want with them. We're not going to dictate, command, mandate anything. You do what you want with them. Number one, why don't you follow the New Testament grace-giving principles for one year and see what God does? Now, some of you are probably already following these principles, but think about it. Test God and see what God will do. One year. So we're in October, October 2022. You privately apply whatever you want to apply. I'm not manipulating this. I'm just laying this out. You apply whatever you want to apply. And in October, if we're still here, 2023, take a look and see what God did. See if he hasn't done some amazing things in the year. Secondly, remember this, and this is true in the Old and the New Testament, when we rob God, we rob ourselves. That's just brought out in both the Old and the New Testament, but that is what is taught in Malachi. Thank you for coming. Good night. The Lord bless you.